Welcome back, everybody. And we uh, we have a Tim and I have a mystery guest this week. <laughs> um, mist- mystery guest, uh, give us a hint of who you are. It's Mark Kaiser. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was that was that was that too, too strong of a hint? As if that clarifies it. <laughs> so many people out there. Who? Oh, <laughs> uh, there we go. That's too good. Uh, so yeah, it's all three of us today. So you, you know, right out of the gate, we've been uh, to let people know we have been um, uh, having a chat about doing a new podcast with the three of us, a video podcast. Be different from this thing. So we've been having these conversations. They've been bouncing around a lot. And uh, Tim, what, do, what yeah. do we want from the, from the people? Well, I think as I as I knock my camera uh, off my off my thing here, get back. This this is what I think we want from the people. Uh, help us design. Help us figure out this podcast. We think we know what we're going to do. Um, but hey, um, it's a podcast that we're hoping a whole lot of you will join us on. So you, you might as well uh, have some influence over it. One of the things you might help us do is name it. <laughs> we, yeah. We've come up with several really terrible names. <laughs> um, uh, which doesn't mean we won't use them. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't matter at all. I like the yeah. Alan Smithy podcast. Uh, but there uh, already is one. There already is one, you know, uh, but, you know, what are you going to do? Um, so you can help us name. What are, what, are, what are some of the names you guys tossed out? Well, uh, we talked about Suck It Hollywood, but uh, Mark felt that was too negative. I don't know. <laughs> it is, the, the name has to show some sense of uh, it has to be unique. It can't be generic. It has to give a sense of the attitude that we have, what the show is going to include, the idea that we have these amazing, you know, opinions that nobody else has that we're going to tell it to you straight let you know what's going on it can't just be a name like the three guys who talk about things it's got to be something that's got some attitude well look this is what we know we're going to do we're going to do some film reviews so some legit uh real time film review business on this podcast we know we're going to do that um um so a little bit of what wade and i uh uh, do on film week and of course mark uh over at over at uh uh, so we're going to do that um, but then everything else is a, is a bit up. We know we're going to take you behind um, the scenes in Hollywood and and, and give the audience uh, the benefit of our thirty plus years, um, you know, in, in in this business and behind the scenes of this business. We're going to tell you stuff we know. Um, uh, we know we're going to do that. Uh, we're going to have some guests every now and again because we know people too. So we know we're going to do that. And um, I don't know. Uh, that's about it that I can think of. Everything yeah, else will depend I, I, on what you want to hear. Because we we spend the first part of this uh, podcast, this podcast, doing you know inside Hollywood stuff, and it's never it never feels like it's enough. And the business is changing; things are pivoting away from from packaged media, and streaming is is even in a you know even even like digital versus streaming and and SVOD and all the various VODs. They're all it's it, it's all kind of in everything's in play. And every week and every day, there are these deadline stories, and they all just kind of go out there without any commentary. And, you know, we thought, honestly, we've got a lot to say about all these stories. So it would be, um, it would be great to have a chance to, you know, whatever, whatever the, the big stories of the week are, whether it's, you know, Johnny and Amber or, you know, Tom Cruise and his, his career sky high greatest success coming at nearly age 60. Um, things like that warrant conversation. 
And uh, we thought, well, who better to do that, to provide that conversation than three of us? Exactly. Exactly. So essentially, it's the same show you're doing now, except we said they get to see our our faces. Yes, you have to shave. <laughs> uh, and I no think way. We'll, I think we'll. Uh, <laughs> Although uh, Tim's beard is kind of coming in nicely. Uh, well, you know, whatever. It, me and Santa. Yeah. Uh, me and Santa. Me and Santa. We're I I don't dare do that because it will it will age me about thirty years if I do that. So um, I can I, tell you the exact day <laughs> I started to grow this beard. I can tell you the exact day. Really? December December 5th, 1995. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yes, sir. December 5th, 1995? Yes, sir. Wow. Ask me uh, how I know that. How do you know that? Because on December 5th, 1995, I was hit by a car and <laughs> went to the hospital and, had, and got I had stitches all over, but I had stitches in my chin, so I couldn't shave. Oh. By the time I got the stitches out... I said, you know what? I think I'm halfway to a beard anyway. I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> All right. And I well, kept going. Go. I've had the beard ever since. <gasps> uh, you know, speaking of that, I'm on the other podcast. <laughs> yeah, I remember when you when that happened, and I remember you recounting. In fact, I just told this to somebody yesterday. That a person leaned over, or they were talking to the cops or something, and all, and you only overheard them say, "Wow, he flew." Oh yeah, so. <laughs> So I'm laying on the ground on the corner of Georgina and Ocean Avenue in Santa Monica. And I'm just like moaning like an animal. And these people are gathered around me. And then the ambulance comes. When the ambulance comes, I hear one bystander say to the other bystander, boy, he really flew. And and the only reason that the reason that came up was, I don't know if you saw this. I do not recommend that anybody go look for this. So even though I know all of you morbid, sick, fascinated people are going to go running to the internet immediately to try to dig this up, don't do it because it's horrifying. I showed it to my wife and I was immediately berated. Why are you showing that to me? So there, there, there was some cops in Texas pulled over. This is the dark side of, of having uh, cops and police cars wired up with video because it goes viral. <laughs> And it gets get it gets edited. They pulled over a guy for for potentially smuggling immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. And for for bringing in illegal immigrants. And he was in a, he was in like a van or something. And you see the, uh, the 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 cops body cam as they're pulling the guy out of the car and 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 you know locking him up. And then this video cuts to their car, the car cam, the dash cam behind the thing, as the door on the van opens up, and one of the one of the illegal immigrants is being smuggled runs out, ru- starts to run across this wide open highway and is hit by a car going about 60 miles an hour and his and killed instantly. I mean, there's no well, question. Yes. And the, his body flies for like 30 feet in the air. I've never seen such a horrifying thing in my life. And I saw that and I thought, I'll bet that's what happened to Mark, except he survived. <laughs> Been there, done that. Yeah. Oh well, that is just anyway. It's that's true. It's truly horrifying. Horrifying. And yeah. Tim, the look on your face—that's the look that my wife just gave me when I showed it to her, and then yeah. I got hit. Then yeah, I got yeah. hit. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Are you saying that Tim looks like your wife? Uh, sometimes oh, actually. I wish I were that pretty. I wish I were that pretty. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and I, by the way, I mean pretty. I wish I were that pretty. <laughs> not handsome. <Yeah. laughs> Perfectly happy to be pretty. Okay, I'm but, that kind of guy. 
And, and 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 by the way, I, uh, I I put a lot into our Synagogue's review of Elvis. Man, I really worked that thing for a number of days. It was a it was a heavy lift, but I had to get it out. So please go to Synagogue's and read my Elvis review, so I feel validated. Uh, neither of you have well, seen well, this both, film yet. Both, have you? Both. I thought Mark had seen it. No, Mark, I've seen it. No, Mark, oh, you saw it. it. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that we'll do, but in the other podcast, is, is talk about that movie. It's interesting because you guys, I, you know, I've I've obviously I've read your piece and talked to you both about it. I, I, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm going to before we do the other podcast because I think it'll be an interesting self conversation. Um, uh, you guys feel a little bit differently about it. Uh, and so Mark, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, um, go ahead. Well, I'm not the hugest Baz Luhrmann fan. I feel like he, 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 he makes, you know, feature length montages, not necessarily movies. And I kind of wonder what his motivation was to even make this film. I don't know that he really loves Elvis that much. I just think that he saw in Elvis a way to do what he does in a very effective way. So what I did like about it is that Austin Butler is terrific. I mean, when, when he dances, you can't fake that. I mean, he is, no matter how much Baz Luhrmann cuts those scenes up, you can tell that that, all, uh, that kid's got it. Right. Yeah. Looks like yeah. Elvis. Sounds enough like Elvis. Sings enough like Elvis. He's great. Um, and I like the fact that it did take pains to connect Elvis back to the black music of that era that he was so influenced by. And not only reminding everybody that Elvis is great, but reminding everybody that the that the black music of that era was so great. And it really was the fertile soil from which so many other bands sprung forth, whether it's the, everything, everybody from the Rolling Stones, who are very, they're, they're uh, very honest about how the fact that they were influenced by that, yeah, that genre I, of music, all the way down. So I like that. What I didn't like is the fact that it's basically just, uh, just, just a two and a half hour, you know, I, montage I of think, images. I think, I think it's a half a montage. And I, and I say this in the review too. I think once you get to late stage Elvis, that's where Boz wanted to get. I think he's racing to get there. I think he wants to make certain points. I think he definitely wants to remind you that Elvis was inspired by a whole collection of black artists who never enjoyed his level of success, but he sort of brought their music to the world. We forget a lot of those early songs, those Elvis songs, they were, he was not the first person to record them. They were recorded Big sometimes 10, 15, That's right. A long uh, time yeah. earlier by other artists. And he just re-recorded them and put his his spin on them. Hound Dog, perfect example, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so so that I, I think I think Boz is compelled by that aspect of the story. And then I think he wants to just get to nineteen sixty-eight comeback special in a hurry. Cause Elvis in black leather <laughs> and lamb chops is just the coolest thing ever. And he settles in there. And I mean Vegas Elvis. That's where the movie comes alive for me is that last, that whole last half where it's just, it's just, it's Elvis from 1968 till he died. And I love hey, all that. I, was, I hey, thought it was great. Uh, Fat Elvis um, uh, is, Fat Elvis is actually my favorite Elvis. Uh, it, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I'm just going to say it. that guy, you know what? Cause he's like, I don't give a damn. <laughs> yeah. I'm Elvis. I'm Elvis Presley. <laughs> and, you, and you all love me. I'm going to take my fat ass out on the stage. I'm putting on these bell bottoms and I'm going to unzip this shirt down here. And you all, and you know what? He was right. We did. We loved him. And, I, was, and I, was, he had, I was 16 when Elvis died. Elvis was a present figure in my I life know. for my entire childhood. I mean, it was, <laughs> a, it was a, go ahead, Mark. If you go back and watch some YouTube videos of Elvis performing on stage, you know, Baz Luhrmann can take, 
can take Gilbert Gottfried and turn him into like the world's greatest pop icon, right? Because that's what Baz does. He'll cut it up and there'll be sound effects and edits and montages until Gilbert Gottfried is like the Beatles. But if you take a look at video of Elvis, you will realize that Elvis really was the actual real deal. And Baz Luhrmann is only really just increasing the myth more than he is creating the myth because Elvis really was that great. Uh, well, you, neither was, one of you mentioned Tom Hanks. Neither one of you mentioned Tom Tom Hanks. Uh, yeah, Tom, Tom Hanks is is uh, not even really close to what the Colonel Parker was, but he's the foil in this thing, and he's fascinating. And he creates, you know, he, he even if he's not doing a great impression of the Colonel, he's doing his own kind of deal on it, like he did with Walt Disney, right? And so you 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 just you can't take your eyes off him because he's just he's so venal. Uh, it, you're, you're sort of amazed that Elvis was was actually manufactured by this just venal money grubbing fat you know slime ball who came out of the carny circuit. I mean, it's amazing. But, but what there it what is. sounds interesting that the film didn't. It's funny because after a while, the film kind of lost its focus because at the beginning, at, at the beginning, it's all it's all Colonel Park. You don't even see Elvis until whatever ten minutes into the movie. It's about ten so minutes into the movie, yeah. So you think here's a movie that's actually told from the point of view of the villain, which which be which would be Tom Parker. And so I like that new way in. But then after a while, once Elvis gets famous and once he starts uh, yeah, you know touring on the it, they, they lose that thread. And then by the end, it kind of peters it kind of peters out and comes into this inconclusive ending about him where he's I can't remember anymore, but it's like it didn't feel like it really took the idea of telling the story from the point of view of the villain and really taking it to the end. Because I just think that in the end, Baz was just looking for a way to just just yeah. double down on Elvis. Yeah. Well, I mean, the I name of the, the, the name of the movie is Elvis, so I suppose that that's fair. I, I will say this as having not seen the movie before. The the question that I posed uh, you guys before you went to see it uh, was it had to do with the black community. You know, Chuck D. Uh, you know, it had that thing that he said in that rap record <laughs> twenty years ago about Elvis. And and uh, but but I always remembered Elvis being loved, beloved in the black community. Uh, and uh, your dad was a musician, so you. My dad were was close a musician, a drummer. He yeah. loved Elvis. Uh, I, I knew Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry loved Elvis. Uh, Chuck Berry from St. Louis, um, um, and, and and Little Richard, and all those guys. And at the time, um, Elvis was played on black radio. Black folks loved Elvis, and Elvis, frankly, put a whole lot of black, a lot of money in a lot of black people's pockets. Uh, musicians and, and people who worked for him, and 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 Chuck Berry said. I love Elvis. That white boy got me paid more than anybody I ever met because Elvis made it okay for white people to buy his records. His yeah, the, records. The, there's a couple of things on that, which is, I mean, it's so true. Not only was Elvis completely honest and didn't hide the fact that he loved this music and was influenced by this music, but you know, having been to Memphis and I went to Graceland, that whole thing, when I went to visit Stax Records, it was so fascinating. The reason why why Stax was so popular and so uh, and just was a real turning point in popular music, because at the time in Memphis, which was quite segregated, here were black and white musicians going to Stax Record to record these amazing songs, and it was like nothing. They're just musicians who respected each other and played. That was it. So with, within the, the, the boiling cauldron of this racial strife in Memphis and in the South at the time, here is this one music studio where black and whites, who they didn't care that they were black, they were, they were just musicians who played great music and it was an oasis of that. Mm. And so the whole Memphis scene was sort of about that. 
Yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah. I will, I, and I will also say too that that I know many people, and I am one of them, and I've had this conversation with them, where the the um, the the defeatist cycle that traps so many black men in the inner city that has gone on now for generations that escapes most people who do not come from that from that part of the the country from those from the cities who do not come from that cultural center that was first communicated to them by a song sung by Elvis Presley and written by another white guy Mac Davis in the ghetto when you mm. listen to that song i mean i can't listen to that song without crying I, I, every single time because it just it just it just goes right into my spine it goes right through my nerves and you listen to it and you just think that is the saddest most horrible song but it communicates something it communicates a cycle that has been visited on so many generations and people i don't think most people would have actually processed that especially at that time in the civil rights movement in that era if it hadn't have been sung by elvis presley i think mm. that communicated that cycle to so many people that it, it it moved a substantial part of the country and and a lot of that is part of this movie i mean you know the 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 death of martin luther king the death of bobby mm. kennedy all that stuff is a part of the story so for all of its craziness and i say this in the review for all of its craziness and its bosness it has those those that punctuation right those moments that just they work and then it goes crazy for 20 minutes and then it hits you in the heart again. And then it goes crazy for 20 minutes. And then it hits you in the heart again. And when it's done, you go, you know, that was 159 minutes of like, I don't know, about 100 minutes of that was just Boz editing the crap out of stuff. And I, and, and I got a headache. But about 59 minutes of it really gets me in the gut. And that's enough. <laughs> you know? Tim, uh, Tim, the moral of the story is go see the movie. Uh, go see the movie. Go see the movie. And we'll talk about it again behind the paywall. All right. Well, let's let's get into let's get into DVDs and Blu-rays. I'm you know I got a whole bunch of cult stuff here. I'm going to kick through right now. And by the way, end of the show, I'm going to let Mark and Tim go. I'm going to do the thing that Mark loves the most. I'm going to do a whole like half hour on my own of anime because I don't I don't want anybody else to suffer through that. Ugh, so, great. Um, I have laundry to do. Wait, I have laundry to do. <laughs> I want to know, but I can schedule that at the end of the podcast. Yeah, there you go. All right. So I'll, I'll, I'll cap everything with anime. But first, uh, make a mention of a couple of Severin titles here. This is all exploitation stuff. This is all cult stuff. Um, so Siege is a, uh, is, is nothing. Uh, laundry going in. Laundry there going go. in now. Siege, Siege is. Uh, By the way, I'm not kidding. Laundry going in, wait. Uh, okay. Uh, Siege is a Canadian exploitation film. I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Uh, Canadian exploitation films are worse than American exploitation films. It's kind of like the Warriors a little bit, but it's uh, it's it's got it, it's lower. Is that the one from the from, from from like the eighties? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's a, that's yeah. a good bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also have Invaders of the Lost Gold, which I think is uh, is also uh, is pretty fun. Uh, the, it's got, you know, it's got nudity and it's got, uh, some really bad, uh, makeup effects and all that kind of stuff. This is, this is from the guy who made Escape from Women's Prison and the Wild Oh, wild world uh, Alan, James Alan, Hansfield. Alan, um, what's his name? Dick uh, Randall. Dick oh, Randall Dick Randall. Okay. Okay. Dick yeah, Randall. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, this, and, and direct, yes, directed by Alan Birkinshaw. That's the guy I'm thinking that's of. The guy. That's the guy yeah. I'm thinking of. Yeah. yeah that's the Dick guy. Randall yeah. produced it, but Alan Birkinshaw. <laughs> All those terrible movies direct. in the Philippines. They yep. were always in the Philippines because he could make it for a buck and a half. That's <laughs> and it. 
Yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah. Woody, Woody anyway. Strode. Woody Strode is in that movie, dude. Dude, that, uh, uh, this in, is... Invaders of the Lost Go. Woody Strode. You're is right, in boy. You're <laughs> right, dude. I, you get an A for today. My goodness, Tim Cogshell. You I just watched a nailed bunch it. of bad movies, man. This, oh my goodness, yes. It's uh, this is this is an '80s movie shot in the Philippines. Takes place during you know they're they're fighting the Japanese at the end of World War II, basically. Uh, tons of these movies. My friend Ferdy Grofe Jr. made a ton of movies like that in the Philippines back in the seventies. This is about a decade later. They kind of picked up the uh, the baton from him, and uh, it's not very good. Uh, but it's but it's cheesy. It's cheesy yeah. and entertaining, and and that's that says something. Um, got three here from uh, Altered Innocence as well. This is some very interesting stuff. Altered Innocence is like a step above usual exploitation stuff. So um, we get this kind of like pseudo quasi vampirish thing called Arebato, A-R-R-E-B-A-T-O. Really a kind of a, a very strange and unusual film. Um, it, it's, it's like a, it's like a, it, it's, it, I, it, it's sort of like a vampire film, but it's like a drug film at the same time. Mm. So it's, it, it, apparently, according to the notes, by the way, and I don't know this, according to the notes, this is Almodovar's favorite horror film. Now, oh. cannot, cannot validate that, cannot verify that, but, uh, it def, I could definitely see it. So mm. it's, it's a, there's a little bit of a snuff filmy thing going on, Super 8, right? Mm. Um, it, it, and it, and it's, it, you'll, you'll see when you watch it. I recommend people watch this. Arebato. It's a, it's really kind of a cool vintage alternative Euro sleaze, Euro trash thing made for about a buck 50. And it's, you know, it's got its, its whole hallucinogenic aspect to yeah. it. It's very, it's very late, unusual. That's, stuff. that's, um, that's late seventies as opposed to that stuff from the, uh, the late seventies. Sure. This is like late seventies. And it's not even yeah, really giallo. It's not even really no, giallo. It's almost no. more in the vein of like, um, it's a little Jess Franco. Like it's blow a little, out. Or, uh, yeah, there's yeah. a little Jess Franco in there. There's a little bit of, uh, what's the name of the French guy who made all those trashy movies around the same time as Jess Franco? Can't remember mm, his name. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's that stuff. And then uh, from both uh, Alternate Innocence and Mondo Macabro, and I got a bunch of Mondo Macabro stuff to mention here as well, is uh, The Wild Boys and After Blue. Um you know what? I mean, it's just uh, it's it. This is trashy. I don't want to call it uh, borderline porn, but it sometimes sort of feels like it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, whatever. It's uh, it is what it is. So a um, if you're if you're a fan of Valerian Borowicz, uh, who made a lot of really really cheesy movies, you'll probably thoroughly enjoy this. This is a whole series of uh, uh, of you know these nasty little borderline uh, stag films. Uh, I can't really recommend any of them, but um, you know, it's, it's called apocalypse after. And uh, these are films made by a guy named Bertrand Mandico. Mm. And um, you know, uh, it, it includes uh, the wild boys and after blue and uh, all this other stuff on here. Uh, it's, it, it is what it is. Hmm. Knock yourselves out. Uh, the Islands of Jan Gonzalez. Um, uh, this is seven short films and other works by Jan Gonzalez. If you've never heard of Jan Gonzalez, you're probably not going to want to actually watch it. But Jan Gonzalez is one of those guys who just made some really trippy pre-David Lynch stuff. 
And a lot of it is here. There's music videos on here. Uh, there, you know, they're like, uh, weird monsters and there are, you know, uh, all kinds of surrealistic nonsense. It, I don't know how you made money back in the day doing this kind of stuff, but apparently somebody did. And <laughs> then there's a whole, seriously, it's just weirdness to the nth degree. A bunch of Mondo Macabro movies here. Too many to really get into, but I'm going to roll through some of the titles because they tell you everything you need to know. The Laughing Woman by Piero, uh, Shivazapa. Starring Dagmar Lassender and Philip Leroy. That's kind of nasty. Uh, we got School of Death, which uh, takes place in a girl's school. And anything that takes place in a girl's school that was made in the 1970s is from 1975, Spanish uh, film. Uh, you know that the girls are not going to have a good time. Bad things are going to happen, and uh, it's, it's just bad. It takes place in Victorian London, but it's a Spanish film. Uh, got Succubus. Now, a lot of oh. films are named Succubus. This is yeah. S-U-K-K-U-B-U-S. This is S-U-K-K. I don't understand the pun. This is made in 1989 in Germany by a guy named George Tressler. It is uh, it is really low budget, and it's pretty nasty. And I didn't know that they made movies as bad in Germany, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Um, <laughs> the, seriously. Uh, then we got, uh, we got a Japanese film called Hiruko the Goblin. This was made in 1990, uh, Japanese exploitation, otherwise known as Japsploitation. Really stylish. They spent a lot more on this than they should have. It's, uh, it's kind of J-horror before there was such a thing as J-horror, or maybe on the, on the border of it. Uh, this is the second film by, uh, the, uh, director Shinja Tsukamoto. And there's an interview with him on it, and, uh, I didn't find it very enlightening, but the designated victim, was made in 1971, and uh, this is this stars Tomas Milian and uh, Pierre Clementi. This is one of those uh, kind of spy things that they spent for they made for like fourteen dollars, and mm. uh, it's uh, not very good. Uh, we also have Human Animals. Uh, <laughs> I love the tagline on this: uh, Two men, one woman, and a dog. It's the end of the world. <laughs> You could you could you could take that a whole bunch of ways, man. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's kind of funny. This was made in 1983. It's terrible. Uh, it's uh, it, uh, the the dog gets the dog is probably the best performance in the thing. Uh, remind <laughs> it, it actually reminded me a little bit of Damnation Alley. I'm not quite sure why, but uh, oh, I love Damnation good. Alley. I know you do. That giant, that giant scorpions. Remember when the giant scorpions attacked the oh, little yeah, town? So realistic. Uh, so David it was documentary Hemmings, is so realistic. David Hemmings, before he got fat and old, was in a lot of uh, attractive things, and yeah. and, and uh, one of them was uh, "It's Nothing, Mama, Just a Game." Uh, terrible title. That was made in 1974, and uh, this is one of these Spanish things. And I'm not sure why he's even in this movie, uh, but uh, he plays this. I think he's dubbed through the whole thing, too. If he's not dubbed by someone else, he's doing a very bad job dubbing himself. But it's uh, basically about a guy who's just a, a horrible, sadistic woman abuser, and it, people are supposed to get off on that? I don't know. Uh, Silip, Daughters of Eve. Um, you know what? Uh, Filipino film from 1986. Basically there to just show off a lot of hot Filipino women and uh, and muscular Filipino men. Uh, that's pretty much it. It's it, uh, There doesn't seem to be much of a plot in here. Uh, I think they cast some beauty queens in it as well. Hotel Fear 
is not that scary. This is by Francesco Barilli, Italian mm. exploitation film made uh, in a co-production with Spain in 1976. Obviously, uh, didn't get a lot of traction around the world because we just don't remember this movie. Um, it, it's it, the first time ever released in the United States. Good luck. And then uh, Strangler versus Strangler. Whom For whom do you root? I just don't know. Um, but basically, this is one of the most ridiculous exploitation films I've ever seen in my life. This is Serbian from 1984, right before oh. they started. Uh, right, I know. It's like under under communism, you would have thought that they would have had a better grip on these things. Um, so, yeah, the idea is that you, you got two guys who uh, they, there's not enough room for two serial killers in uh, in Belgrade in the mid 1980s. There's only one. So uh, they've, they've got to, you know, figure out who's going to be the Belgrade strangler. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It makes no sense whatsoever. And then uh, lastly, we've got a bunch of stuff here from uh, Cult Epics. Always love the stuff that Cult Epics comes up with. Very interesting old movie. This is mu a much more serious film from uh, Just Yekin. This is Madame Claude, which has a great, great musical track, musical score by Serge Gainsbourg, to be honest. Oh. That's, the only, that's the main reason to watch this. Klaus Kinski's in it. Fair enough. He's in a lot of stuff. Uh, there's a lot of nudity, and it's, it's you know, a very, um, it's very Emmanuel-esque, but it's the, it's the Gensburg music that really makes it great. Uh, you gotta check it out. Just Yakin, kind of a, kind of a hack, made in 1977, but boy, the music is really, 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 really great. Gensburg, just the best. Um, got Tinto Brass, P.O. Box. This is a two disc limited edition, uh, which includes a documentary on Tinto Brass that tells you a lot more than you really want to know. I didn't need to, I just didn't need to see the interview. I don't need to know anything more about Tinto Brass than I do. Tim has often made the point that Tinto <laughs> Brass is basically just a lot of women walking around with garter belts and no pants. Uh, did I represent that? <laughs> Tim's nodding. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Hey, man, that's what it is. That's right. kind of, that's put kind you, of, put yeah. Tinto Brass, he has a quote that is quoted on the back of this box. I've got to read it. I know we try to keep this show at least a little bit classy sometimes, but but this is this tells you everything that you need to know about Tinto Brass. And uh, here it here we go. Quote: Pornography is there to give you an erection. Erotica is there to give you emotions. Close quote. Now, I frankly think that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But I'm glad mm. that Tinto believes it. Yeah. I'm glad that he. I'm glad that he th he thinks that that makes sense. Um, Tinto was born in '33. He's older than my dad. He's he's he's, he's clocking uh, what, ninety or something like that. That's nuts. Man. Yeah, yeah. Well, there it is. Um, got ninety nine point nine frequency of terror. This is um, a film by a guy named Augusti Viaronga. Never heard of him. Never heard of the film. It's uh, it's a horror film. Uh, I I blew through this. Pretty quickly, it's it's stylish. I think it's better than most of these things. It's made in '97, so it's you know a lot more recent. It's Spanish again. You know, it's uh, Spanish exploitation. Is there a is there a name for Spanish exploitation films? Spain exploitation, Span Spanish exploitation. Uh, I don't think there is because we have we have like black exploitation, Oz exploitation, Jap exploitation. You know, there's a, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of those terms, but nothing. Yeah. Uh, given how, given all the Jess Franco crap, you would think that they would have coined one. Maybe they just call uh, them just Franco films. Maybe that's, <laughs> just say that and, and it covers the whole thing. And then uh, lastly, this is quite interesting. We have a couple of films from uh, Nushka Van Brockel. I'm sure I'm completely mutilating that name. 
but uh, Nushka Van Brockel, a director with whom I was not familiar, a 70s and 80s era uh, Dutch filmmaker, um, feminist director of, you know, all kinds of films that are sort of somewhere between softcore feminism and uh, exploitation feminism. It's it's kind of weird because it's not quite Doris Wishman. It's like on a, it's like a more more stylish than Doris Wishman, but yet not as high minded. It's it's kind of you know I, I I'm sort of be curious to see more of her films if I had time and if I didn't have so many other things to do. But uh, for the time being, these are both uh, certainly enough. But if you if you if you want to discover. A very curious kind of uh, sophisticated period erotic world of Nushka Van Brackle. These two mm. films are out from Cold Epics, A Woman Like Eve and The Cool Lakes of Death. Uh, they are arty. They are a little bit uh, Emmanuel-ish. They definitely are exploitation, but they are really, really good transfers, and they are from the late 70s and early 80s, and um, quite interesting. So there it is. That's our uh, that's our exploitation stuff for the day. Oh, one more, one more, real quickly. Um, the Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue. Uh, one of the, the one of the silliest zombie movies ever made. This is from Synapse Films, but I really enjoy this. I, I, I you know, if you're going to make a zombie movie, make it stupid. Just go all the way and make it completely ridiculous. And boy, this really this just takes everything that uh, Romero pioneered and it just pushes it right over the edge into self-parody on a level I cannot even, I, I can't recommend this highly enough. From 1974, um, The Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue is hilarious. It is hilarious. You will laugh so hard. I did. You're going to love Wait, it. Wait, I love zombie movies. Don't say, if you're going to do a zombie movie, make it ridiculous. I love zombie movies. Come on. World War Z, Train to Busan, 28 Weeks Later. Ordinary People. Ordinary Oh. I, you know what? Mary Tyler Moore, she, she barely had to put on any makeup right. to be a zombie. Uh, there you go. That's oh, it. That's I what love, it is. I love Mary Tyler. Don't do that. Hey, man, can we do Can we do, Can we we do? do some 4K uh, oh, new movie stuff? Oh, I was stuff? just grabbing them. You just dive oh, in. Oh, we that. Wait until has another 75 uh, movies no one's ever heard of to do. <laughs> right, there we go. Oh, wait, make it happen. All right. Dude, th- that that Nick Cage movie. That's the reason why I wanted. I want to talk about that Nick Cage movie. Yeah, the the, uh, yeah. the massive, unbearable weight of massive the, talent. The unbearable weight of massive talent, which is a Nick Cage movie in which Nick Cage plays Nick Cage. Uh, and 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 I don't know. Uh, this movie struck me as very very interesting conceptual. You know, obviously yep. one thinks of uh, being John Malkovich or whatever uh, uh, like that, but it just did not work. Um, um, it has these moments where it's very, 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 very funny, uh, but ultimately it does not work. And I don't know, but at least that's what, that's what I think anyway. Uh, but there it is. What do you think about that? This, this Nick Cage? You know what? I thoroughly enjoyed this, even though I knew in my bones that it was not good. Uh, no, I mean, you you do. It's, it's, it's on 4k, it's 4k Blu-ray combo. And, uh, I mean, look, I, it's just, it's one of those movies where you know what they're doing and you know it's not working, but you're just glad they're doing it. You're glad that Nick Cage is playing himself, that he's taking pot shots at his own career. I mean, it, the whole idea is he wants to quit acting uh, because he's just not being fed as an actor. And uh, then he gets an offer to 
like to, to go and, you know, vamp for some guy who's some, he's like a super wealthy guy in Spain. They shot the whole thing in Malta. They didn't even shoot it in Spain. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he, he goes to meet this guy. He's going to get paid a million dollars for what is it? What is it just to appear at his birthday party? I can't even remember what he's doing. So, yeah. He's the guy, for. the guy and the, and the guy has a screenplay, of course. And gonna yeah. Talking to Played by Pedro Pascal. But there's this whole other storyline that has Tiffany Haddish and the other guy there, and they're like FBI agents, and then that guy is yep. really some sort of a big, you know, criminal. This kind of this, and 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 you're right. So the whole time, Nick Nick Cage is sort of poking fun at himself, and there's this other version of him in the movie uh, with better hair, and they oh, that's right, they they have the, the, the CGI version of the his CGI old self who torments him. Cover. It's hyster- yeah. that's all great and hysterical, but then we wander off into this stupid movie that has the guy, the stuff, and I'm like, just stay out of that dumbass movie. Stay over here with Nick. They could have just put Nick Cage in a room with that other Nick Cage and just yeah. had them go at each other for 90 minutes, and that yeah. would be a brilliant fucking film. My uh, dinner with Nick. My dinner with Nick. <laughs> yeah, that would have been brilliant. I, I, but they trying to jam of, this other movie in there. We don't need this other stupid movie. Nobody cares about that. It, it is. It is profoundly silly. It really is. It's just. It's. It's silly on an epic level. But you know, by the by the standard of recent Nick Cage films, and we're going to talk about another one later too. Uh, oh yeah. I, I, I have to say, the best thing about this for me isn't even Nick Cage. It's it's Pedro Pascal, who I thought was <laughs> hilarious. Because he's so worshipful of Nick Cage. He's such the ultimate groupie. And he puts, you know, he's using his accent to great effect. And uh, Tiffany Haddish is kind of wasted. And, uh, and uh, you know, everybody else in this thing is just kind of, they, they all sort of phone it in a little bit. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it for the most part. Low expectations, right? You go in mm. with low expectations and, you know. Did they put well, it on Cage film, so automatically there's low expectations. I mean, I, I wanted, oh. I wanted to, well, here, sometimes Nick Cage will stumble into, possibly by accident, a good film. Like, man, he was Are we going to talk about Pig? Are we going to talk about Pig? We're going to talk no, about Pig later. We're going to talk about Pig. Okay. Oh, we can. Okay. okay. But, uh, We're going to. Good. We're going to talk about it later. Yeah. Okay. Pig was good, but this one, I just felt that, I kept watching it, hoping that it would somehow fulfill its satirical promise. And it would always get halfway there, but never quite get it over the top. So, yeah. you know, yeah. um, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which is on 4K now, the, oh. the latest in the Harry Potter uh, prequel series, which has been really so amazing, but it's had a problem. And that problem mm. was Johnny Depp. And when Johnny mm. Depp was accused of uh, beating up Amber Heard, they dropped him like a hot rock uh, before he redeemed himself, apparently, in the eyes of people with this latest trial. And they replaced him with Mads Mikkelsen. And sure enough, you know what? That was the problem. Because Mad Mikkelsen makes this film. A- actually, no, I take it back. You know what? It makes no difference. This film still stands. Yeah. Uh, Mads in this film, for one thing, Johnny Depp, you know, he prepared this very specific character, you know, the, the white skin and the white hair and the white and yeah. all that. And that, you know how Johnny does. And Mads wouldn't do any of that. No, he he reverses hey, he, the character. He, yeah, he's like, I'm not going to put on that hair. I'm not going to wear that wig. I'm not going. That's all Johnny's crap. I'm not doing it. Well, yeah. but Mads, if you don't do it, then you're not doing the character. You know, because, <laughs> because that's the character. Even if you look yeah. at the character in the book, it says all of that. But he wouldn't do it because Johnny did it first. But you're right. Wouldn't make any difference. This movie didn't no. work, man. This movie didn't work. I I am and and look, don't get me wrong. I kind of I'm rooting for this for for Fantastic Beasts to to be its own franchise to 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 somehow work. 
but it's not working. And I'm trying to figure out why. Is it because we're expecting it to be Harry Potter? Is it because it's not really about the kids? It's more about the adults? Is it because the characters aren't... I mean, I can't quite put my finger on why I don't enjoy these movies. Why? Because the thing is, is that... A lot of these, the Harry Potter films were based on were based on books, and a whole generation of kids grew up on these characters. They were the same age as Harry when the books came out, and they grew up with Harry through the books and through the movies. Now you're talking about characters who seem like they don't. You know, nobody grew up with them. The attachment is not the same, right? Now it's yeah. just. A, does is it a thrilling tentpole film? Does it does it scratch that itch? As opposed to like I grew up with these people and I want to see their next adventures. I feel so connected to them. But with with, with all these Fantastic Beasts one, you just don't get it. It's just a typical tentpole exciting movie with a big overblown theatrical climax. Yeah, yeah. This, True. Is, this is a movie about a bunch of adults and looking at yep, God, look at Jude Law's hairline for God's sakes. You're fifty, and they're walking around these movies with these sticks. You know, they got to be mad. Like, what the hell? Who is this for, man? I'm almost <laughs> sixty. I don't want to see this shit. That picture, which you know, you. Yep. Valid point. So, Downton Abbey: A New Era looks gorgeous on 4K. Absolutely spectacular. I have a theory with this, gentlemen. Tell me if I'm onto something. So there's a thing that used to happen in the 1970s with TV shows, which is every TV show, every TV show had its territory. It took place in a certain city, in a certain milieu, on a certain block, whatever. Even if it was a love boat, you're basically just going from Los Angeles to Puerto Vallarta and back and forth, right? And if you wanted to get really special, you would have a season premiere that went somewhere else. They went on vacation. So you get Charlie's Angels season two, Angels in Paradise. They're in Hawaii. Oh my gosh, they're in Hawaii. They're going to be wearing bikinis. It's going to be a whole new thing. Or you get the love boat, the uh, Alaskan cruise or some Caribbean cruise. Oh, they're not just going to Puerto Vallarta. So we got a whole new thing. So this is, down, this is Downton Abbey. They're going to the south of France. And I don't care. I love it. Uh, I had a whole lot of fun. It's basically Maggie Smith just making wisecracks and everybody else just along for the ride. By the way, Sex in the City, one of the Sex in the City sequels was the same thing. Yeah, it's like Dubai or something. Yeah, yeah, just go somewhere else and it feels fresh. So that's what they're doing here. That Nabby movie, how does it do at the box office as a measure? Did really well. Okay. It did well. Filmed a Marvel movie or a Bond movie. It did well. A grown up. It's solid. It, it was solid. It's audience. Yep. The the audience for these things, they follow it and they don't spend a ton on them either. You know, it's basically a TV budget, which is, you know, still huge these days. But the audience for these things, they come, especially in the UK. So it did fine. It did fine. You know, it's, it's not like going to make a billion worldwide, but it, it's definitely it, it made its money back for sure. And a bunch of extras on here. And, uh, you know, it, I, I love the fact that it's 4K, too. Uh, there's nothing like Maggie's, the, the crevices in Maggie Smith's face in 4K. To hey, dude, can we talk here. about Edge of Tomorrow? Um, I dude, love dive in. Edge of Tomorrow. It is just one of the best sort of time. So it's, just, it's just a Doug Lehman film. Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And the thing that I love most about Edge of Tomorrow is that Emily Blunt is the star of Edge of Tomorrow. 
not Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, right? Is but Emily Blunt right. is the bad, and you you just buy every moment of her in that movie. I think it's it's close to one of Bill Paxton, the great Bill Paxton's last movies. Maybe not, maybe not the last movie because he had that TV series that he was in when he passed. But uh, but it's it's one of his uh, last movies, and it's just this beautifully done movie. It is so wonderfully worked out that 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 screenplay by Chris McQuarrie and Jess Butterworth. Uh, in order to make that movie pay off at the end, and that movie has the best payoff. That and Looper are my two favorite sort of time. Yeah, they just pay off beautifully. And you know, if if you look closely and you can't find any holes, you can't find any holes, and it's just action packed and it's fantastically good. And Emily Blunt's a badass in that movie. Love Edge of Tomorrow. I I I agree. Uh, Mark, you got any thoughts? I love this movie. And the thing is that I, re- I really felt like I was going to hate it, right? Because he's got to relive the same, he's got to go back a day all the time. And you're like, how, how are they going to stretch out the same day over the course of a two hour movie? And of course, they find ways to do it. Macquarie, with the Mission Impossible films, he has proven himself one of the smartest tentpole people out there. I mean, I would love to see him direct a James Bond film. The guy gets Star Wars film. That dude can do anything. If you look at someone like Macquarie versus someone like, let, let's say, JJ, it's just leaps and bounds different in, in terms of just the, the depth of the characters, the complexity of the story, the fact that you know you're watching a bunch of sci-fi nonsense, but you just love it. It's just so much, so well-constructed, super smart script. Uh, it's really well done. I, I like it, it a lot. It, I, it, it, the funny thing is this really goes in that, in that category of um, – Groundhog Day movies, but we don't think of it as being one of those because it is so smart and so original on its own. You don't go, oh, yeah, I would put like if you make a list of Groundhog Day inspired movies, right? You'd have a whole bunch of Palm Springs and Groundhog Day. And there's there's a whole litany of them. And you would not normally go there with this because it still feels like its own movie. It's it's really it is it is very sharp. The audio on this is is to absolutely die for the uh, the, the the DTS HD master audio is just really just crisp as, as can be. It's beautiful. Um, some lot, a lot of cool extras on here too. Uh, Storming the Beach, uh, Weapons of the Future, and uh, On the Edge with Doug Lehman are all... That's a really interesting career. I got Doug. I was, you, you think about Doug, right? Oh, Doug, Lehman? Uh, yeah. Swingers. You know, tiny, tiny little movie. Yeah. These guys. You know, Mr. Right. And Mrs. And then, Smith but he, and then all he ends the up having this yeah. career. I don't know. I would. I thought Doug was going to walk the path of one of these guys. You know, smart little talky movies. I did but, too. You know, but Doug, he, that was just an introduction. Doug always had it in him to make big, big, big ass movies. That's really kind of what he's been doing. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him do another swingers s something with people sitting and talking and doing and coming and going sort of thing. But uh, this. Swingers and uh, what's the other one? Go. Uh, well, when he did Swingers yeah. and Go, you have no idea that you had no idea that he could actually no. do something like Edge yeah. of Tomorrow or Jason Bourne or American yeah. Made. Which, by the way, I like Amer- American Made was kind of the last time that Tom Cruise attempted to play a real character in a non tentpole film. And I actually think that film is a little bit. It's not great, but it's, a little, yeah. it's kind of overlooked. American Made, but uh, I, I could not have predicted Doug Lyman's career based on Swingers and Go. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. It's an interesting career. So the uh, the Edna Ferber novel that became the great George Stevens movie Giant is on 4K. I think this is a cool, cool, awesome, awesome move by Warner Brothers. I love the fact that they're putting 
catalog titles like this on 4K, especially because Giant, by the way, gentlemen, if you remember, movies had moved to widescreen by this time, but George Stevens said, no, I want Giant to still be Academy Aspect Ratio. Now, that would be a no big deal today because it'd be like, oh, so you mean IMAX. But but no, he, he just said, no, I want I want the square frame. And it's it's uh, it's an absolutely beautiful film. I think this movie totally holds up. Uh, it's sort of like uh, there will be blood before there will be blood. But I, I think James Dean just knocks it out of the park here. I mean, these are three amazing powerhouse performances. Elizabeth Taylor, Rock Hudson, and James Dean. But James Dean just owns this movie through and through. It's it's one of his. It's one of the great all time screen performances. And uh, I couldn't love this movie anymore. I don't know how you guys how feel, does but it I look think it's in four K because you know, look, yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, I'll tell you the 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 Warner Brothers people do the. I I really I think of all the studios, they're the ones who do the archival stuff the best. Everything I look at from from the uh, the the adventures of Robin Hood uh, to things like Giant, even to stuff like freaking <laughs> Dumbledore, right? More recent stuff. They they preserve the theatrical look. They're very att- attuned to the grain. They're very attuned to the difference between digital and film. Making sure that they respect the timing of the film. They don't oversaturate the colors. They preserve the grain. Uh, it's it's really beautiful. You feel like you're watching film when yeah. you watch this on 4K. You really do. I it's thought it was so terrific. funny that this is a movie in which James Dean is playing a character named Jet Vrink, uh, opposite an actor named Rock Hudson. I do find it odd that they would, and, and God love them for releasing it on 4K. But don't forget, this is like a a 200 minutes, you know, 70 year old movie. So I, you know, uh, I don't know that the the giant, you know, OG giant fan is going to even know what 4K is. And at 200 minutes, I don't know that the average 4K, you know, consumer is going to say, get me giant. I'm one, I'm curious as to what hole this was filling in terms of like, well, this is going to move a lot of units. I, I, I think, I, I think for, for Warner Brothers, it comes down to mm. the brand. I think there is a focus at Warner Brothers internally. In fact, I know there is that uh, one reason for the success of Disney and a a reason that other studios struggled, why 20th Century Fox struggled and had to sell itself to Disney, why Paramount is struggling, um, you know, why Universal is desperately trying to to reboot the the monsters again and again and again uh, is because Disney um, has a solid brand. And despite all of their, um, despite all of their missteps, you know, with public relations and Bob Chappick firing his competitor and, you know, having fights with Florida and having fights with Scarlett Johansson and all the, all the things that are troubling Disney. The fact is Disney is still a strong brand company. People know what Marvel means. They know what Disney means. They know what Lucasfilm means. And I think Warner Brothers understands that it, it has a great brand and it needs to dip into that library to shore that brand up, to say, this is who we are. And that's a small investment to be able to do that going forward. I, I think uh, it's prestige very smart. to a certain extent, I guess. There you go. That's it. Prestige is the word. Uh, shall we get yeah. some new movies like Pig and Nicolas well, Cage again? You guys both saw, I see at the stop at Rifkin's Fe- Festival, which I didn't see. Uh, uh, oh. and, and, and we, we, we had an interesting conversation about Woody and all of that the, the other day when we were chit-chatting. So, 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 so get me up to speed on Rifkin. And is there anything 
Uh, does, does put we'll start with Rifkin, okay. then we'll move to Pig. So, Mark, your thoughts on uh, on Rifkin's festival, the last Woody Allen. You know, it might be the very last Woody Allen, for all we know, after what he told Alec Baldwin, but go. Uh, you know, look, no one loves Woody Allen more than yeah. Yeah. the three of us. Let's face it. He's Woody <laughs> Allen. He always be Woody Allen. I don't care who he married. I don't care any of that stuff. I, he is the king, and he always will be the king, and I'm going on record as saying he's the king. That said, this is like Woody's 49th feature, and I'm telling you, he's got to top out at 50 and call it a day because this is not good. I mean, I guess at some point, look, he's still got Victoria Serrara shooting it, so it looks great, and it takes place at a film festival with artists cross-hatching each other in terms of, like, who's sleeping with who, but it just felt very derivative. It felt like something he wrote 20 years ago and pulled out of a drawer and never really, never really polished it up. I just don't understand what he's thinking. It doesn't seem like he, he's really been on automatic pilot in the last few films, right? So uh, it's got, the, you know, it's just the cast is fine. You know, Wallace Shawn is, a, is another stand-in for Woody, complaining and kvetching to his doctor and to his therapist and whatnot. But I just feel like it drags on and on. There's nothing new. It's not that funny. And I just feel like it's a copy of a copy of a copy. It's a little and bit of that, but I but I appreciated that he seems to be mourning all of those movies that he he loved, the French New Wave movies, and uh, you know Bergman and Bunuel, and I, I feel like he's he's this is a statement saying those movies are becoming they're 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 disappearing in the rearview mirror, and nobody but but I mm. remembers them. And there's a sadness to this, and. Um, I, you know, would it have made more sense for him to put himself in the movie? Probably, but the fact that he didn't makes it even sadder. So I, it, it's true. And and if this is his, if this is his like like cry from the heart to get people to revisit these great movies that he loved as a kid, I think that's a great message to send. But I just feel like it's being sent by this that by by a guy whose his writing is not that tight and trenchant, and he doesn't get his points across the way he used mm-hmm. to. Right. Mm-hmm. In that way that really resonates, it just feels very flabby. And so I feel like even that point is kind of lost. And like, you just, yeah, it's, you're just it's, so bored. It's really interesting. Yeah. I, mean, you know, I mean, Woody, uh, and, and, and I think it was, I think, I think, uh, Tyrone, I, mean, I think Midnight in Paris is about, it was about 10 years ago, 2010, 11, something like that. And he had that run, Midnight in Paris, Tyrone with Love, Blue Jasmine, you know, yeah. um, uh, in, in, I don't know, then, then, you know, around 2015, that's when a whole bunch of conversations. And then we get Cafe Society and Wonder Wheel, which is really not good. I didn't see Rainy Day in New York either. I know you guys did. And I keep thinking to myself, particularly after that really good uh, you know, mid two thousands run, that you know maybe Woody will he'll, he'll get it back, but you know, but he's only getting older. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> he's getting older. He's not getting better. Let's uh, so let's talk about Nick Cage again in Pig. Um, this this had a this had a little bit of uh, support when we were voting. A lot of people in the room wanted to give Best Picture to Pig. How you two feel about that? <laughs> oh, there's a long well, silence. Dude, look, um, um, I, I enjoyed <laughs> Nick Cage and Pig. The, 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 the film is about this 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 guy, sort of hermit guy, who has a pig. That, uh, can find truffles in very uh, fancy restaurants, you know, pay him a lot of money to get his pig. And somebody says, somebody kidnaps your pig. And then this guy, you know, Nick Cage, has to go out and he has to find his pig. And he works his way through this sort of underworld of 
Oregon, whatever, <laughs> you're looking for his pick. Uh, uh, and, you know, um, th- there's obviously there's a whole bunch of psychological, philosophical stuff going on here. I don't really give a crap about any of that. But I, I did like seeing Nick Cage in that beard just sort of walk through this movie. Not terribly unlike uh, Michael Douglas in Falling Down. Uh, you know, um, oh, yeah. uh, you know, just good and, analogy. And if so, all of the crap that's going on with the guys, with you know, who's going, I don't care about any of that stuff. But, 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 but a guy on a mission, um, that was interesting to me. Um, but no, not best picture. Here's, here's the thing to me, it is, it's basically a revenge film. And because it has Nick Cage in it, everyone kind of thought, oh my goodness, it's, it's, it's head and shoulders. But no, it's still a revenge film. It's about a guy with a pig. They take his pig and he wants revenge. It doesn't really uh, go much further than that. I, for my money, I mean, it's, it's fine. It's well done. I get it. I understand that it's, you know, it's a pig and people are reading a lot of meta metaphorical things into it. And it is a relatively tame performance for Nick Cage, which is, you know, unusual in, in these days. But did you ever see the Brian Cox movie Red from a few years ago? Is that the one where he's a spy along with uh, no, Bruce Willis? Stop! And- no, no. Red. It. It. He's a guy with a dog, and his dog is named Red, and he has a run-in with these punk rednecks who kill his. Oh, dog. I saw that. I saw that. It's good. These punk rednecks kill his dog, and then he goes all Liam Neeson on him. Uh, and and I I even though that was much more extreme, you know, like he does things. Nick Cage would never go to that extreme, and there are reasons why Brian Cox does it. I I found that to be a more satisfying way of telling that mm. kind of a story. Mm. Mm. So there it is. Uh, boy, I'll, I'll tell you, is, is Stephen Daldry, uh, what an unusual director he's turning out to be. So Stephen Daldry for the last few years, I mean, he's did Billy Elliot, of course, and he did The Reader, and then he then he did The Crown, and he's been doing The Crown on television now for four or five years, whatever it's been. And then during the pandemic, he decided to get back to features, and he made this pandemic feature with uh sharon horgan and james mcavoy called together and uh i i feel like you know most of these pandemic films and we got another one here with uh, anthony hopkins but most of these pandemic films are not going to age very well i feel like it's sort of self-therapy on a certain level but this is about a couple of people who um you know uh were locked down together for a solid year during the pandemic and uh it's pretty much a two-hander I, I don't know that it works. I think it's interesting in, in that it, the, these two actors are clearly giving it their all and Daldry's trying to do something interesting, but I sort of feel like this movie's already dated. I don't know. Did yeah, you yeah, see I, this? Three, movie, three people in the movie, the little boy and uh, in, 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 in James and Sharon. Yeah. That's the movie. Uh, some people on the phone or whatever. Uh, but that's, that's pretty much the movie. And they deeply, 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 deeply uh, hate each other. Um, uh, and, and are reviewing all of the reasons why they hate each other in this movie. Uh, and you know what? That's At first, it's um, funny, uh, and then it becomes, uh, you know, sort of disturbing, and then I just decided that I hated them both, too. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and I'm not sure that that's where, where that movie wanted to land me, but that's where it landed me. I'm like, you're right. You're, all hard, you're both horrible. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, that's where, that's where it landed. But now that you mention it, that's uh, kind of where I'm at. Uh, so fatherhood is interesting, uh, mainly because this was on Netflix, but it's a Sony film. 
And Sony clearly reserves rights to take things off Netflix and release them as disc. And I think that's very interesting. Nonetheless, all of that business stuff aside, uh, Fatherhood, is, it feels like a movie that was made in 1992. <laughs> Uh, it, it doesn't it, it feel doesn't it feel like oh, like one of those movies where you know it, those dad movies. There's a whole series of dad movies, neglectful dad movies, and mm. and uh, all Schwarzenegger was in some of them, and uh, Steve Martin was the father of the bride, and and then Parenthood, and it's like yeah, there was just all that parent movie stuff. So this well, that's where this movie sort of feels like it belongs, but that's not a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. Yeah. Kevin Hart, um, I, I I think is just I think he's he, he has yet to peak and I think this is a lot of fun and I love the uh, the hashtag girl dad because I've got some of those Kobe Bryant sh- shirts that say girl dad I'm a girl dad too sorry that's where I live <laughs> I like fatherhood you yeah. guys yeah yeah no no it was a lot of fun yeah, yeah, yeah Mark did you see it good performances I did not see fatherhood although I'd be uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on Kevin Hart because you know. All the comedians want to go serious. And even though, even if this film is like generic and formulaic, it's still not Kevin Hart doing his Kevin Hart thing. It seems like he's calmed down. And do you think that he can someday, I mean, maybe not, uh, you know, ordinary people too, as you said earlier in the episode, but could he go serious? I think he can, but I don't think, I don't know why he would. Yeah. yeah. He's got a drama in him. Uh, 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 you know, I don't know. I suppose it depends on the movie. Uh, it, it does. What is the thing he did uh, with. Uh, it was an adaptation of that French film. Um, uh, uh, oh yeah, the Untouchables. Uh, well, uh, the Untouchables. Uh, uh, yeah. He did the yeah, American version yeah, of that. Yeah, and there was a certain yeah. sort of sort of thing. He still he was still doing you know uh, Kevin Hart sort of jokes and whatever. But there was a certain sort of drama uh, in, in in that movie too. And he yeah. You know, he, he was playing. An, he was playing an ex-con. Here's the thing. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I like. I like Kevin Hart when he's just being Kevin Hart. I, I really do. I, I just think he has a great persona. I think he brings a lot of positivity to his movies, and I still want him to host the Oscars. <laughs> I really do. I want, oh, I want to scratch good. that itch. I want to scratch that itch. He'd be good. So uh, the Cinderella, this this is that TV Cinderella that uh, was just, just doesn't work on any level whatsoever. It kind of tried to do an alternative Cinderella. Uh, you know, uh, oh, the, one, know the one, the one, the one with Billy Porter and, and, and Camila with Billy Porter as the as the uh, god fairy godmother. Yeah, Pierce yeah. Brosnan's in it, and you know, Mini Driver's in it, Idina Menzel's in it. Uh, it it's true. They try. I just think this is really terrible. Uh, it, because it doesn't really sufficiently reinvent it in any alternative way. And what really hammered that home for me is when uh, we were we were in London some months ago and saw Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella, uh, which just closed after a year, and they're gonna it's gonna open next year on Broadway. And we listened to that soundtrack. I kid you not. We listened to that soundtrack in the car and at home about a dozen times a day, and have done for months. It's amazing, and it's a totally alternative Cinderella, but it's in a it's like a smart alternative, right? Um, and, uh, I just don't, I, I feel like this one tried to be shocking without being smart, mm, but mm-hmm. there it is. Cinderella, um, mothering Sunday, the Eva Husson film. Did anybody see that with Colin Firth, Olivia Coleman, Glenda Jackson? That one, you know, I got so many emails to see this movie. Uh, they emailed me three times a day to see this thing. And, I, yeah. and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to see this thing on principle because I'm tired of getting your emails. <laughs> so uh, I I think for the for the Downton Abbey crowd, because this thing is set in kind of the same general period of time, 1924. I think for the Downton Abbey crowd, this is an absolutely wonderful, wonderful movie. 
Is it quite Downton Abbey? No, it's sort of scratching at being that kind of a thing. But it, uh, I, I do think that Eva, Eva Husson is a, or Husson, or however you pronounce it, is, uh, is a talented director. Uh, and I think that, uh, there are more good things in store from her. So I think it's worth watching if, if this is your, your genre. But, uh, and, you know, Colin Firth never is, is never bad. Look, you put Colin Firth, Olivia Coleman, and Glenda Jackson in a movie, even if they're playing supporting characters, it's, it, that is just always worth, worth paying attention to. Um, another, another, uh, pandemic movie, Zero Contact. I had to review this for Film Week. I, I believe I'm being quoted. I've been quoted in a number of articles as calling it the worst Zoom <laughs> meeting ever. Uh, this is the, what oh. they did with this. They, they, they decided to try to make a, uh, a thriller during the pandemic using nothing but people's cell phones and having them do nothing but stay home. So the whole thing is predicated around Anthony Hopkins is some like sketchy um, pharmaceutical magnate who has died and has left some there's some kind of a conspiracy that's been left in his wake. And they're all connecting to each other on video saying, what are we going to do about this? And while they're watching each other on video, some shady character in black is like killing them one by one. And you're seeing this on camera and you're, oh, my he's coming for me next. <laughs> And and then in the end, there are a bunch of surprises that aren't really surprises. And then the movie ends and you realize I've been watching cell phone footage for the past 90 minutes. I feel totally ripped mm-hmm. off. Um, this is not surprisingly a grindstone film for Lionsgate. Grindstone will grind them out even during a pandemic. But man, I want to know how much money they threw at Anthony Hopkins for this thing because it's not mm. enough. I don't know why he would do that. I don't know what. I mean, maybe they thought he could do it because he can do it from his home. Yeah. He, he didn't leave. I, I, it's not, not not only did he not leave his home. I don't think he left the chair. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I truly. It's like I, I think Anthony Hopkins probably got a phone call and he said, "What? You're going to pay me how much to sit here, turn my camera on, read these lines? How much? One day? Oh, all right. Why? Why would you not?" Like, hi, we're going to pay you a million dollars for one day, for like three hours. Just sit there, read these lines into the mm-hmm. camera. It's the worst. The only reason why I wanted to see that is because um, I had an ex-girlfriend who was who was very good friends with him and his wife. So I, I met Hopkins a, a, a number of times. And so I was and so one of the places we used to hang out was his art studio in Pacific Palisades. So he's got his home and then he has an art studio. And I think that he shot his parts of the movie at the art studio. And the only reason why I want to see that movie is to see whether I'm right. Otherwise I couldn't care less. Yeah, that would be interesting. You should, you should then watch it and tell me so that I don't ever have to get near it again. That would be, um, that would be, that's what friends do, Mark. That's what friends do. Uh, just a few more here. And then we should talk about the uh, criterions and uh, arrows. And then uh, I will dive. I'll let you guys go and we'll get into some anime. So, interesting film by a uh, director named Ninja Tyberg. Her, she spells her name like Ninja, but it's not Ninja Tyberg. Mm. It's Ninja. I believe she's Swedish. Starring Sofia Capel. It's called Pleasure. This mm. is presumably this. a... a re- okay, Tim. I've what seen this you- movie. Yeah, well, good. Let's all talk about it. This is like the... Inten- leave it. Yeah, here we are. Three guys. Oh, I, yeah. I saw that movie about the inside look at the <laughs> porn world. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a coincidence. <laughs> So um, I've seen a number of movies that purport to sort of go inside porn and how horrible and dirty and miserable it is. And and it's never fun. There's always some level of abuse or rape or something in there that makes you wonder why they even wanted to make the film. But go ahead. 
Talk about it, well, guys. What, what do you think? That's what we have. This this, this young uh, girl uh, who, for no particular reason, actually decides that she wants to get into not just the porn business, but the extreme porn business, and and it's in, and she's fairly enthusiastic about it. Uh, uh, and, and she goes off into this business and we watch all of the things that happen to her. And it's sort of basically how she sort of like goes, goes down this, this, this rabbit hole. And the, 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 the young actress who's doing all of this, she's, you know, she's engaged in all this stuff. And of course it's, it's a lot of simulated porn and simulated sex and simulated this, but it's very much constructed, particularly with the sound mixes to make you feel like you're watching abusive uh, um, uh, extreme porn is a uh, this whole rape sequence in it, a sequence where she feels like she's being raped anyway. Uh, and then you have all these guys, yeah, who call themselves agents or directors or producers or whatever. They're just pimps. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, dude, you can call yourself a producer, but I know a pimp when I see one. <laughs> <laughs> so you know whatever with your title there homie <laughs> that's pimp talk <laughs> that's so it, but i kept thinking to myself for well, a look i'm not exactly sure why you decide to go into extreme porn you might have just wanted to do your 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 workaday porn before you went straight into that uh, so so that's kind of nutty and this has a phone call with her parents but i i, I never understood why are you here, sweetheart? Uh, why are you? Why, you know, go home. Uh, this this isn't this is that's this is it. not a movie that's about it. some abused blah blah blah. And they got pulled off the street. Now she's in porn. But uh, no, honey, you got you talk to your mom an hour ago. Go home. Uh, but but I don't know. So that's uh, I found it extremely uncomfortable, and I'm not sure it represents anything that's actually true. Uh, so there you go, Mark. Yes, I, I'm, now here's the thing. I'm going to say that I liked it. I'll tell you why. First of all, this thing should be rated NC90. Okay. This thing is so graphic. This, within five minutes, you're like, you're, you're embarrassed for humanity. But <laughs> the thing with the movie is that it's actually using, it's, it's, yes, it's about the porn industry, but it's also, What's great about it is that it's about any industry where the line between a worker's like agency and exploitation is 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 just really thin, right? So yes, it's about the porn industry, but it's also it's also about you know in the movie she she keeps she's so ultra competitive that every step up the industry ladder she decides to go, she's she debases herself further and further until she starts wondering why I'm even doing this, which I think was part of the call of the family. Right. And so, and what, what I found interesting about it is that it's not a porn industry takedown in the movie. There are just as many porn producers who are careful with her and make sure she's okay and make sure that she's not hurt. Then there are scumbags. So it's not just about this woman who just goes into this, you know, industry and, and deals with male scumbags. There are workaday cameramen. There are people who are very caring and nurturing to her to make sure she's okay. And they're scumbags. So I felt like it was very even handed in, in its depiction of the porn industry. And so I felt there was a lot more going on there than just like, here's a woman who wants to get banged for a living. Um, so there was more going on. And I, I did appreciate that. And that's not just, you know, they're not just doing that just to justify all the pornography in it. It is the story. The story is about how any woman or any person who goes into any industry where they feel exploited, something like this, though not exactly like this, could happen to them. Right. It's the kind of movie that would that will make you want to take a shower, except for uh, the fact that it begins with a shower scene and you kind of don't want to reenact any part of the movie. 
It was this thing was like wait wait, wait what was the movie that we saw? It was a uh, what was the Ginger Root movie? It was oh, the movie where no. a guy. Oh gosh, yes, uh, Battle in Heaven. The, the, what is it? Uh, Battle in Heaven. That Battle in Heaven. The the uh, the the Ray uh, Goddess film. The Mexican yes, film. That's yes. the one that starts with it. Is, yes, it is. That with that like is, the fat, yes. ugly middle-aged guy in full bloom. And then you said that his his yeah. member looked like a ginger root. You did. You're the one that said look like you you I sat there. I made you watch this at your at your place. And you and the first thing you said was, What the Oh, it looks like a ginger root. And there you go. I said that, you, said that. you know, you said that. That was you. So uh let from from the sublime to Liam Neeson in Blacklight, uh they're gonna need more men. So it's basically taken. He's he's a uh, he's a guy, uh, government agent, and uh, he he's supposed to like uh, keep people quiet. And then suddenly his wife and or his uh, his daughter and yeah. granddaughter are in danger, and he's got to go rogue. It's exactly yeah. the same movie. Liam Neeson's made this like seventeen times in the past five years. I will just say this about the movie: Aiden Quinn became an old man yeah, somehow. When did that happen? How, did get, how does he get older than Liam Neeson? How's that possible? I'm sure that Liam Neeson is at least a decade older than, than Aiden Quinn, yet Aiden Liam Quinn is Neeson. somehow older than Liam Neeson. They reversed. This is why... Let me. T- I know it's weird. Let me tell you why Liam Neeson... Liam Neeson's pushing 70, and this is why it's so great right now that he's making these movies, because he is holding mm. it up for all of those 70-year-old fat alcoholic Irishmen who are sitting in pubs somewhere around Dublin saying, I could do it just like Liam. I could do that. I'm, I am I could take him out eh, just like Liam. That's, what, that's what's great Wait. about Liam Neeson. Yes. Wait, Tim, here's my theory yes. as to why Liam Neeson is doing all these stupid movies. Yeah. Because like 10, 15 years ago, he lost his wife to a tragic accident. And that's pretty much the moment when he started to become an action star. So I think he's doing all these movies as a way to, in his head, save his wife. He's in all these movies. He's in all these movies. He's saving his family, he's saving his daughter, he's saving his wife, and he's doing in these movies what he couldn't do. With, there's no way he could. I mean, it's, it's, that is it's, a fantastic theory. That is a fantastic. I don't, I don't know what that is. All. So that's what I think he's using these movies as a way to save his wife. Freudian, but it sounds, it feels very accurate. This movie, there, there is, there's, there's, Freudian. It's this movie is interesting in this way. The character he's playing has that thing. What is it? That thing you get when you got to turn the lights off and you have to check all the exits and, and you know, and then you have to hit the light switch a certain number of times. What is that? That's a, that's a thing, right? Uh, the, the character has yeah. that. And that's, that made this yeah. so fucking funny to me. He's got to kill like 15 people, but he's got to turn the light switch off five times. <laughs> <laughs> It was just hysterical, but nevertheless, you know, he still managed to kill everybody in the room. So for some reason, Blumhouse decided that the uh, Drew Barrymore Firestarter was 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 just not the masterpiece that it was meant to be. So they they remade Firestarter for some reason without without Drew Barrymore and without George C. Scott. And the result is that you have a movie that is exactly the same as the previous Firestarter, only without Drew Barrymore and without George C. Scott. I don't really understand why this exists, but there it is. They they redid it, uh, gentlemen. Nah, I got anything else to say? <laughs> Can I yeah. say? By the way, by the way, just one thing I'll say: uh, Zach Efron. Who knew 
that this pretty boy from whatever stupid show he did yeah. would wind up being a halfway. I mean, did you oh, see yeah. that Ted Bundy thing he did? Yeah, he's very good. He's very good, and he's very he's, talented. I was, I was, I was shocked. I was I like, "Who is this guy? He's amazing." Was yeah, good. No, he's very good. As were a lot of those kids. Uh, High School Musicals, right? Is that it? High School Musicals. He's he's one of those. Yeah. Kids, right. Yep. Uh, yep. He was actually yep. really good in those. I, when they made the actual movies, I think it was a TV show, but they made a couple of actual movies, or at least one. And he was really good in that. And I and I remember thinking to myself, if he can beat his looks, um, he he could have a career. He's going to have to pull off a pit. Pitt had Pitt had to do it too. Uh, uh, you know, people forget Pitt was ridiculously beautiful. Uh, Depp had to do it, uh, uh, but they were able to do it. They were able to beat their looks uh, with actual talent and, and skill. And he he played a real. He was in he was in that movie about Orson Welles. Zach he played Orson Welles as I don't know yeah. whatever. Yep. Was. He was wonderful right. in that movie. And ever since then, I've been like, you know what, kid? Uh, don't let the looks. Sometimes the looks can 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 smash you. Uh, but sometimes, sometimes they get better. yeah. So good work. So Tim, I know this drives you crazy, but uh, this animated <laughs> film that came oh, out from Universal, uh, oh yeah. the bad guys. <laughs> so just, just so everybody knows, Tim wrote a movie called <laughs> The Bad Guys, or yeah, just yeah, Bad yeah, Guys yeah. without the the. Uh, was starring yeah, Sherman yeah. Augustus, which uh, won some awards yeah. at the Beverly Hills Film Festival some yeah. years ago. And uh, so not to be confused with this animated thing. um, You know, I have an issue with talking animals. I just can't. I just, I can't. I know. I can't. (laughs) This, this, this is about a, this is, this tries to sort of do what Zootopia did a little bit, uh, a world in which, you know, there are all these animals, these, 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 uh, uh, um, what do you call it? The, the, the world's problem by talking animals, anthropomorphic animals, anthropomorphized an- animals. And I get, I mean, I guess the animation is fine. I, I, it's, you know, whatever it's, it's universal working with the, whoever the people are that do the minions. What mm-hmm. is that illumination? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so it's, uh, this is, I mean, this is technically DreamWorks, right. But uh, it, it's that look. And, uh, you know, the, these, these particularly nasty villains, you know, wolf and piranha and shark and snake and, and spider, they're like a gang and they finally get taught, caught and then they have to do like a, uh, like, like a, a suicide squad thing. And, and, you know, they have to prove their, their metal by doing something good. It, it's a little bit too wannabe noir. It, whereas Zootopia is like legit noir and it doesn't really work very well. It's mm. kind of forced. I guess some kids liked it. My daughter did not like it at all. We had we had a bunch of kids over. Kids tuned out of this thing what's in like the, 20 what's minutes. What's the rating it on just, that it, thing? It, I it thought that thing was rated. PG. PG. Action and rude humor. Yeah, it's rude. It, basically, it's, okay. it's fart jokes. PG for fart jokes. That's where they always go. And and a little bit of the you know action intensity, but I mean it just didn't 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 push the the sweet spot for kids. Let's let's tap out with uh, the Criterion and the Arrow stuff. I want to make mention of the two 4Ks here. Each of them have a 4K this month. They are both tremendous. Um, Criterion's 4K this week is mm. Shaft, the Gordon Parks uh, mm-hmm. classic, and uh, Arrow's 4K is an amazing special edition set of Tony Scott's. Uh, Quentin Tarantino scripted mm-hmm. true romance. And I I just think this is, uh, again, let's just say what this is doing for the 4K format, it's really pushing the collector's uh, part of it. I mean, these things are so full of extras, I can't even get into it. I mean, 
they are just loaded interviews and uh, vintage stuff from the 1970s for for Shaft and for you know a whole bunch of amazing stuff. There's there's like this wonderful eulogy for Tony Scott by Edgar Wright. I mean, it's really tons of stuff on both of these things. But again, the bottom line is you yeah. get to see Shaft in 4K and you get to see True Romance in True. 4K. Very impressive true, true, work. True romance. Um, uh, if, 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 if we have the story right, if I have the story right, it's basically the 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 film that paid Quentin the money that allowed him to make uh, to think he could make anyway. Uh, um, uh, Reservoir Dogs. He was going to take the. He wrote that script. Correct. Had, that had, is had right. Some dough was going to go. You know, you make a, you know, Harvey Cartel eventually. You know, all that kind of stuff. But true. That is the most wonderfully. Um, I, I I loved that movie. A true romance uh, back, uh, back in back back in I did too. It was at the top of my list. It was great, it's just really. I mean, because a lot of people think they think you know, early Quentin. They go to Pulp, uh, uh, you know, go to Reservoir. I got to tell you, I think early Quentin. I go I, yeah. Tony Scott directed the film, of course, but I go to True Romance. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, speaking of speaking of uh, you know, uh, so 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 there's that uh, Shaft, uh, uh, of course, 1973. Look. I always have to say this when when Shaft comes up because people because earlier we were talking about black exploitation films. Shaft is not a black exploitation film. It's not a black exploitation nope. film. Uh, it's a studio, studio film, film. Uh, and uh, and it's a mainstream film. Uh, 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 Richard Roundtree uh, in that film is a legit private detective with a license <laughs> to carry that gun. Uh, yeah, and, and 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 he's working with the cops. Uh, exploitation film. Superfly. Uh, uh, Ron. Gordon, Gordon Parks, Parks Jr. His son, uh, he's a he's a, he's a pimp, <laughs> a truck dealer. That's a black exploitation yeah. film. This is not. So anyway, just have to always say that whenever we talk about those movies. Yeah, and and it is and it is significant to me that the the studio film was made by mm-hmm. Gordon Parks and the exploitation film was made by Gordon Parks Jr. One was a hero, one was an antihero. There's a really interesting generational thing, and you and yeah. I have talked about this, but I. I always think that's really interesting to make that comparison between between the two. I I love both these sets. I think these movies are both. I I just celebrate having them both on 4K. It's a it's a great thing. It's a yeah, totally man. great thing. Um, the rest of our criterions go through these real quickly. Uh, include Stanley Kwan's Rouge, which is a Hong Kong classic that is is so wonderful. This is from 1987. <laughs> One of the early films, just really, really early parts of the the uh, the Hong Kong New Wave. It was just on the, on the verge at this time. Anita Moy and Leslie Chung, neither of mm. them are with us anymore. Mm. So sad, but such a beautiful film, so beautifully shot. A perfect criterion. Uh, director approved. Stanley Kwan is still with us. So uh, Rouge is a must see for any fan of that. Powell and Pressburger's Tales yeah. of Hoffman. Another one of those amazing Paul Pressburger movies from the uh, from the, the, their heyday of the 40s and 50s. This is 1951. One of their very very best films. Uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's poetic. Tons of great extras on here, including design sketches and paintings and gallery work and all kinds of other stuff. Mm. Um, uh, really really interesting. Uh, well, here I'll get to, get to those in a second. Oh, Pink flamingos. Yeah. John Waters. Pink flamingos. Uh, also a director approved uh, version not everybody's uh, cup of tea but you know it's it's got a lot of fun stuff in it they've got divine trash the uh, feature length 1998 documentary about john waters is on this so you can you can uh, celebrate that as well and then uh last year's the worst mm. person in the world gets a uh, a criterion treatment what a wonderful mm-hmm. movie that oh, is yeah. you guys oh yeah feelings agreed yeah yeah, yeah. i'm a big agreed. fan of, of, of a lot of people thought this he, he's done several films he has a little team that he works with there anders 
is in most of those yeah. films. This is just really, really good. It's it's kind of, it's kind of his best film so far. I, I think it's wonderful, and uh, you know it won it won uh, best actress at Cannes. A lot of people thought that it was going to be a front runner for a screenplay with the Oscars. I didn't think so, but it certainly should have been. And then lastly, here is a really interesting movie I've never seen before. This is Equamsangi's Farewell Amor, also a director approved set. Um, this was made just a couple of years ago, and uh, I, I have never been overly familiar with, with Ekwamsangi, but uh, what a an absolutely uh, beautiful, beautiful movie. Tim, are you familiar with uh, yeah, the, 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 by any the, chance? The, the, the African uh, 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 the director. Uh, uh, working, but this, is, this takes place in New York, um, but I, I, I mean, I know very, very little her. about She's, his- It's a woman. Uh, his, uh, yeah. Is uh, it her? Okay, Ekwamsangi. See, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not that familiar at all, but I thought it's a really well, the, interesting movie. The thing I know about so her is that she what, was one of Spike's students uh, at, I, I, I want to say, uh, ah. what did Spike teach in New York? NYU? NYU. Okay, so, so NYU. He's, she's one of his, uh, uh, because, man, he, he turned them out. He okay. really, really did, yeah. Well, I mean, absolutely beautiful. Uh, I mean, is she is she Angola? That's what I was wondering. Know? I'm not sure. Because yeah. Angola... I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Because the the background is that this is this is about a, the, the 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 a family that was you know uh, impacted by the uh-huh. Angolan civil war and how this re this reunification happens in New York and it's just it's a lovely lovely drama it's it's really really well done um, beautifully written beautifully directed tremendous and I you know totally totally off my radar but I'm wonderful to to find this so uh, there's a commentary on here which I have not listened to. But I certainly will now. Uh, it's a beautiful film. Beautiful film. Farewell Amor by uh, Equa Masangi. Masangi. I hope, you know, uh, I'm not destroying it. So, all right. Uh, and then from Arrow, we just got a couple of exploitation-y things here. Old, uh, old horror classics. The Initiation of Sarah and uh, Edge of Sanity with Anthony Perkins. Um, both come with a, a ton of extras on them. As per usual for Arrow, I would say that both are also pretty much strictly for fans of uh, kind of that hammery era uh, of, of of films. The, uh, the Edge of Sanity is is kind of a um, uh, a, a Doctor Jekyll and Mister oh, Hyde Kaylin's thing. Kaylin's um, is in that film. You remember? Do you remember yeah, Kaylin's? I mean, Kaylin's was like it, the it, thing for a minute there it's a, in the it's late seventies. I do, I do. I mean, it's 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 not a a faithful Jekyll and Hyde, really, but it's it's kind of an Anthony Hopkins version of it, trying to take it in the in the wake of Psycho, <coughs> and then uh, the initiation of Sarah. If anybody's seen this, you know it's got uh, kind of some fun performances by people who aren't really around anymore. Shelley Winters in in her her exploitation era when she was, yeah, and Kay Lenz, the wonderful, awesome Kay Lenz, who uh, was never better than when she was in that Rod Stewart music video. Um, and Morgan Brittany, you know, so this thing, this thing has a bit of a following as well. All right. And that should do it. Gentlemen, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to dive into, uh, some anime here for the last half hour. But before I let you go, uh, we want to say again, email us at godsdigigods.com or gods at cinegods.com and tell us what you think the, uh, the new, the new video podcast should be. Give us, you know, some ideas for names and things to do and all that kind of jazz and let us know where to, where, where you think we should take that. What will, what will garner a, a faithful audience week out and weekend? 
and let let people know how much weight I should lose in anticipation of doing oh, you're so a video sorry. podcast. Should I should I should I cap it at ten pounds or should I kick it up oh, to like so twelve or fifteen? Yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. All right, gentlemen, I will catch you guys right. later. You, fellas. Later. Thanks, guys. All right. A little bit of uh, something old, a little bit of something new with our anime. Um, we're going to start off with Get a Robo Arc. The, the Get a Robo universe, of course, goes back decades and decades and decades. It goes back at least 50 years. Um, it's the original kind of giant robot mecha tale, uh, at least the earliest that I'm aware of, long before Transformers or any of the rest of it. This is a a, uh, a more recent continuation after many, many years. The the, uh, the manga that this is based on goes back about 20 years, which is relatively new in the Get a Robo uh, universe. It's a little bit of uh, Starship Troopers here. The There's a, there's a, a uh, I think they call it a stellaration. Uh, anyway, these, these bugs from Andromeda are attacking the Earth. The Earth has to develop new Get a Robo tech to fight them off. Very Starship Troopers, but it's pretty good. Uh, then we also have uh, Tsuki Pro, the animation. This is boy band stuff. A lot of uh, anime centers around boy bands and and uh, music competitions. Uh, that's more of what this is. Does it really translate outside of that world? I guess maybe a little bit. If you if you like you know J pop and K pop, you'll probably have some fun watching an uh, animated version of it. Um, needless. It's a, is a really interesting premise executed with a little bit of kind of bad, tawdry humor. Uh, but in any case, um, the idea here is that in the in the future, about 100 years in the future, after a global war, they've wiped out Japan, left this massive giant crater, and there are fragments in there that have radioactive, um, that confer, through their radioactivity, confer superpowers on people who collect them, and and that's, that's the story. Uh, is it great? No, it's... You know, it's sort of more interesting as a premise than anything else. Drifting Dragons, much more recent stuff, uh, sort of future fantasy. As you can tell from the title, it is literally about uh, big, giant, flying dragons. And it's, you know, it's sort of like an anime take on, you know, how to how to tame your dragon, the old DreamWorks thing, uh, only without the charm and uh, all of the, the DreamWorks-iness of it. But... Uh, yeah, this is a pretty interesting universe. Um, really, really interesting animation. Very, very good. Food Wars, don't want to put too much uh, more time into that. We've talked about this in the past. Uh, this is just the continuation of the same saga. This is you know right at the end of the first semester of the second year. And uh, you know, now we're now it's it's like it's like the sports stuff, except it's uh, it's in the world of dining and restaurants and having to learn how to cook, and it, it's fine. The sports stuff, we uh, we get more of with the volleyball-themed Haikyuu to the top. This is a, uh, I guess it's fine. I never knew that volleyball was was uh, much of a big deal in Japan, but clearly at least this show is. And it's, um, it's you know, it's, it's, it's drama on a high school volleyball team. That's it. Um, very focused on that kind of a world that they uh, routinely explore in anime. Next is Ingress, uh, the animation. I like this quite a lot. I like the world. I like the animation. I like the writing. Um, this is based on a, on, a, on actually a game. I normally don't like the game stuff, but this is a a, um, a, re, a mobile game, like one of those augmented um, reality games. 
and uh, it's it's a bit of a noir. It's a, it's like a mystical noir. It's about this um, uh, detective who can just through touch sense the uh, memories and remembrances of not just people but things that he touches. He can like sense the the history of a thing, and it's. It's not a cheat, actually. It's really, really interesting. And the animation is just superb and beautiful. And uh, there's there's this, there's some really, really interesting stuff here related to this, um, this mysterious, it's not even a, um, a, um, a Hitchcockian MacGuffin device. It's called Exotic Matter. And it's, it's a really interesting idea, the way the story sort of deals with it. It's very, very cool. Uh, highly recommended Ingress, the animation. Uh, we've uh, speaking of uh, bugs again, and and the uh, the Starship Troopers obsession. We have more the complete TV series of Mushibugyo, uh, which is, you know, it, it, again, I don't know what it is with with giant insects and 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 this kind of thing. The Mushibugyo is not so much in the Starship Troopers vein of we got to fight the giant bugs off. It's it's um, it's more like they've already invaded and they've become you know a part of the uh, a part of the landscape. In any case, and you have to fight them here now, right? And then you throw in a little bit of uh, a little bit of you know samurai action, and the whole thing is very strange. And I think it gears much more toward teen kids, but it's Mushibugyo and it's very very popular. And uh, who am I to judge? Uh, Obsolete is great. This is the complete collection of Obsolete. And this is really, really great mecha. It's very interesting animation. It's very unusual relative to uh, what you normally get from, from uh, mecha anime. Um, more, you know, alien invasion stuff. But it's, uh, it, it, the economics of it are very, very interesting. And um, it, uh, the robots in this case are uh, known as exoframes. And they they've pretty much taken over the planet. So um, you know, if you if you like Transformers, if you like Get a Robo, if you like um, uh, any of the, the 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 mecha, the futuristic mecha robot themed stuff, you're gonna really really like this. It's because it takes it in a completely new direction. It's very 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 well done, and that is obsolete. The uh, complete collection. Somali and the Forest Spirit. Very interesting. This is uh, based on a fantasy-themed manga. Uh, this has been available here on Crunchyroll for, for quite some time. Really, really quite interesting. Very, very recent. Uh, the manga dates back only about five or six years, and then it was um, kind of early early pandemic that the, uh, the series was created. So I, it succeeded by sort of exploiting people being locked down in Japan and elsewhere. And uh, it's it's uh, it's about a kind of a, uh, an alternate universe in which everything is magical. There are all kinds of creatures in the world, and human beings are sort of on the way out. Is there a little bit of Tolkien in this? A little bit of uh, Middle Earth? Yeah, I, I think probably. Um, but it leans much more heavily into traditional Westernized fantasy, which I guess has a following in Japan. So, uh, like you have golems and stuff like that in here. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's very nicely done, probably a little thin in the story department, um, more, more about sort of flaunting its animation and doesn't really mind cutting corners, but um, it's worth checking out. Somali and the Forest Spirit. Uh, 
The Legend of Heroes um, has been around a while. The Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky is based on a video game and uh, doesn't has I'm not familiar with the game, never played it, don't really understand the the whole universe that this takes place in. Kind of tried to stick with it for a couple episodes. Um, it's it's all right. I, you can tell that it's based on a game. Um, feels like you you probably should be controlling some of the characters, but uh, you know it's about this these this brother and uh, sister. They're you know trying to uh, go through this this uh, land and become um, protectors, not not necessarily spies, but become kind of these elevated civil servants. And there are all of these issues that they face in trying to sort of uh, rise to this position in the in the land. Uh, I'm sure it goes to a very interesting place. I didn't stick around long enough to uh, necessarily see. Uh, Batum, another one of these anim- anime series tend to have one of do one of two things with their titles. They will either come up with a very short title that's a little bit silly and has way too much uh, punctuation on it, like usually two, three, four exclamation points, or they'll be very, very long and they'll tell you the entire subject of the. It'll be like Throw Mama from the Train done anime style anyway batum only has one exclamation point but it has three three o's b-t-o-o-o-m if you have to look it up uh originally a uh, a manga and uh, much more recently it is a uh, an anime series and uh you know it's basically a about a guy who's a video game champion and the game that he plays is batum and uh, that winds up becoming his reality when he finds himself transported to this island and uh, mystically and magically. And then somehow it turns into kind of a, a Hunger games thing. And um, it, it doesn't explain enough <laughs> to make its premise credible, but it's very well done. It's very nicely animated. Uh, but it could, again, writing is a little bit thin. Uh, and then uh, we have Yusibu, otherwise here known as, here's one of those titles again. I couldn't become a hero, so I reluctantly decided to get a job. Uh, again, not it has a following, not my kind of thing, but it's this takes place. It, this is kind of a um, child wish fulfillment thing you 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 learn to become a hero in the world in which this takes place but the the empire has collapsed and so the program that teaches you how to become a hero is is done with so now he has to go and actually get a real job and um naturally the job leads him into all kinds of weird areas and a very unusual strange romance and it 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 it, it feels like it's probably supposed to be funnier than it actually is at least to me. Uh, amnesia, very interesting. I, I I think there's a lot of potential to this. Uh, I might actually want to watch some of these things again and try to try to absorb it. Um, the the kind of uh, a little bit of anime noir. It's a presumably based on a PlayStation game, which I've never heard of, but some people have told me this is this originates in PlayStation. Uh, but it's a really interesting kind of a, you know, the, the Japanese do a very good job of taking noir, or at least the structure of noir, and transferring it into the world of anime. And um, one thing that you get in noir, if you've seen Memento, for example, 
very often memory is a, is a, is a thing, especially, you know, recent noir, modern noir. And that's what this is about. This is, uh, as the title tells you, this is about a young woman who has complete and total amnesia. And, um, in a groundhoggy dog, groundhog day kind of a, a, a thing, she keeps waking up in the same place. And uh, then she's visited by this ghost and she has to put all of these pieces together and, uh, and figure out, you know, who she is, where she is, what's going on that traps her in this strange kind of time loop. So it's a little bit of memento, a little bit of Groundhog Day, and a lot of uh, traditional anime. Really kind of cool, actually. Uh, does not necessarily go in directions that you would expect it to. Next up, we're about halfway through, trying to make this go quickly. Iroduko, I-R-O-D-U-K-U, The World in Colors. Uh, this takes place uh, not enough in the future, I should say, and it's... Uh, it's basically kind of like um, Tabitha, if we could could do that. It's about a, a young girl from a family of witches, and um, only it's not funny. It's not a comedy. So she's she's trying to um, recover some of her lost abilities, and that winds up in a situation that emulates a recent French film where she meets her younger self. I can't tell you anything else about it because it's a it's a very unusual and sometimes surprisingly moving premise, but um it's worth sticking with if you if you want to see anime that kind of goes in more more grown-up directions and unusual directions, it's worth checking out. Uh also originally a manga which was more recently serialized into an anime television series about 10 years ago is Place to Place. Yeah, not not particularly uh a fan of this. Uh it's it's kind of straight up just relationship stuff with some very quirky humor. Um geared I think toward young teens and probably more so toward young girls. Uh take that for what it is. Got a couple of uh, different seasons, uh, at least I, as I understand it. This is how they how they've been structured as seasons of um, student council's discretion, and uh, I guess they call it levels: level one and level two. Uh, you know what? I the the school oriented stuff. This all takes place in a um, kind of an elite academy. I don't really get it. I'm sure that within the culture, it probably uh, probably has a huge following. Uh, it, it feels a little bit exploitative and uh, and fetishistic to me. A um, little too much, a um, little too much, too many hints of hente in this. Uh, but you know that has its that has its following as well in in the genre. Which brings us to something that is also kind of uh, pushes the envelope a little bit too much. Uh, which is, here's another one of those titles. Uh, my mental choices are completely interfering with my school romantic comedy. So I think we've talked about this before. I I find the premise of this uh, very weird and a little bit hard to appreciate. It's about a it's about a student who has a condition, a curse, a um 
an affliction, uh, whatever you want to call it. And this is, this is where basically your entire life is a multiple choice process. So if you ever played any of those old video games, Dragon's Lair, the, the Don Bluth animated stuff where it's an adventure and you're kind of semi-controlling the video game, but what you're really doing is you're just controlling the branching of these different animated sequences. Uh, it, it It's a little bit like that elevated to a somewhat um, risque or at times very risque uh, uh, kind of role-playing oriented high school drama. I don't get how this is that popular, but it is. And not on me, but it's out there. Make of it what you will. The title alone is is worth paying attention to. Uh, Stella, Women's Academy, High School Division, Class C3. That's a mouthful. Uh, again, based on manga. And again, more drama and more politics within uh within a within you know school relationships and so forth um in this one the the c3 stands for command control and communications and uh that's the uh that's the club in this case that that the young woman in question wants to uh become a party to and uh it it winds up at a certain point being an excuse for the animators to draw young female characters in all sorts of states of uh, uh, provocative, provocative, provocative clothing. We'll leave it at that. Very interesting release here. Nana. So Nana ran about, uh, I want to say about 15 years ago, something like that. And, um, it's, I want to say there's kind of a sliding doors quality to this, but it's not, quite exactly the, uh, the, the right analogy. Um, it's about two different women named Nana and uh, what brings them together and, and how incredibly different they are and, um, and where their lives and their relationship converge and diverge. Really smart writing, very interesting idea, not the kind of thing you normally expect to wind up uh, animated. It, you could have done this as, uh, as a live action drama as well. But they did it animated, and it's really, really very, very interesting, and you just don't uh, expect it to go where it goes. So um, for for the really grown-up stuff, stuff that's just a little bit off the, the regular anime radar, Nana comes really, really highly recommended this week. Uh, Infinite Stratos. Yeah, this is fine. Uh, it's very, very conventional. It's, we've, we've seen this many, many times before. You've seen all of these, these mecha devices uh in in many many other shows um this takes that whole mecha concept uh the 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 robots the future the you know everything uh, oriented to it and then it makes it just a little bit uh just slightly prurient and uh i i could have done without that that seems to be a theme this week but uh, I suppose, you know, the the migration of hente concepts into regular anime is something with which we have to live. Very interesting set here from, and, and all of these, by the way, that I've been uh, been touching on so far have been from uh, the, um, the Sente library through section uh, 23. 
Sente continues to do a lot of great work. A lot of the other anime houses seem to have uh, suspended work for, for the recent few years. Um, anyway, we now go to Nozomi from the Nozomi Library is uh, Sayonara, Sayonara Zetsubu Sensei. Hopefully I didn't destroy that. So um, the uh, this comes with both a Blu-ray and uh, a book. And the book is very impressive, and you know it's like three hundred and some pages long, and uh, it's a it's a lovely thing to include. So you're getting a lot of your money's worth if you are both a manga and an anime fan. Uh, this is um, this was originally a Media Blasters title, and people waited for it for a long time. It never came out, and uh, then Nozomi picked it up and has apparently been doing pretty well with it. Um, Basically, it's the the story of a you know Japanese it's school stuff again, and in this case, it's a, uh, a kind of centers on a teacher in particular, and uh, how this teacher is dealing with you know usually it's the politics of the students. In this case, it's all about the teacher and the teacher's inter- interaction with the students, and um, and one in particular who well kind of, several, but one in particular really gets the. Uh, uh, gets most of the attention. It's a girls' school, and um, they're you know the the private stories actually wind up going into a very very interesting place. So uh, you know of the school oriented stuff, probably one of the better ones. This is one of the more interesting approaches to uh, you know, the Japanese school politics because you do see it from the point of view of a teacher, and that again is called Sayonara Zetsubu. Z-E-T-S-U-B-O-U hyphen sensei. Uh, Gundam, I mean, there's just, there's no point in, in rehashing the entire Gundam universe. This stuff just goes on and on and on and on. Uh, this is from the, the movies that were made as part of the Turna Gundam side of the giant uh, mecha universe of, of Gundam. It takes place hundreds of years in the future. And it's it you know the movies are actually pretty good. The movies in this case are Earthlight and uh, Moon Butterfly. Kind of don't try to make sense of them, but within the confines of the the Gundam universe, what what's nice about these two is that they are pretty self contained. They don't um, they don't require you to have done eighteen hours of research into what the the Gundam universe is and what wars and what generations and all of that stuff. It's so it's it's not bad there. Uh here this is interesting. This is this is computer animated. Uh so it's you know 3D CG uh anime, which we don't get a lot of because it's kind of offensive to the entire concept. But uh there is some of it. And this takes that into the world of sports, that whole sports thing that we get so much of in anime. Uh, and this is Ryoma, exclamation point, the Prince of Tennis. Um, and I think tennis has become, obviously, for a lot of reasons, more of a big deal in, in Japan in recent years. Uh, more, more Japanese tennis players on the, on the world uh, stage. So you get kind of a, you, you, you know, you get a family story here. Perhaps the, the story of the Williams sisters and, and King Richard and all of that has inspired a little bit of this. But um, this is about a you know kid whose dad was a tennis champion, and he wants to come to the United States and and train, get you know better training in the U.S. And then there are all of the obvious you know the the, the tennis politics, the culture politics, fish out of water, 
And for some reason, then suddenly it, it has a weird time travel twist. It, it goes into a, into a fantasy place where it didn't really need to, but um, interesting because it's different just because it's different. One of the best we're getting, we're getting to the very best here. One of the best recent animes is just unbelievable character design, incredible animation, a beautiful, wonderful, wonderful film is uh, Pupel of Chimney Town. And uh, this is, you know, one of these beautiful, one of these beautiful kind of period fantasy um, uh, pieces of anime that, that just go into these wonderful directions you never, ever expect them to. Really, really very cool. Um, it, it's, a, it's sort of a Victorian cyber, uh, not cyberpunk, Victorian uh, steampunk sort of a Victorian steampunk um, storyline. And uh, when, it, when you talk about Pupel of Chimney Town, so Chimney Town is kind of this steampunky Victorian fantasy land. And um, a, Pinocchio might not be the, the best analogy, but Pupel is the name of this creature who is made of garbage in this very sort of industrial revolution era uh, fantasy land. And um, it really, really goes into some fascinating places. The animation is beautiful. The character design is beautiful. The story is unpredictable. And it's very, very touching in the end. It's really, really worth checking out. Pupel, P-O-U-P-E-L-L-E of Chimney Town. Beautifully, beautifully done anime. My good friend, uh, Charles Solomon, who is the anime expert, the animation expert, for a long time has been uh, recommending I get hold of this for my daughter. It is Panda Go Panda. Panda with exclamation points after both of it, both times. This is from uh, Isao Takahata, uh, one of the great all-time anime experts. This is released uh, from Shout Factory as part of their arrangement with G-Kids. And it really is wonderful. Again, it skews very young. This is for, you know, if you're, if you're 11, you're probably already too old for this, unless you're, you know, anime aficionado. But it really, really, really is beautiful. Uh, it's very, very sweet. It, 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 it's funny. It's uh, a, a Big Hero 6 comes to mind sometimes, and I'm not a big fan of Big Hero 6, but... Um, I think it's I think the whole idea of, you know, this giant panda and uh, the, the little girl and her relationship with it. It's it's really quite beautiful and very fun and very funny. Best animated film of last year by far, even though it didn't wind up going all the way at the Oscars, was uh, Mamoru Hosada's Bell. Absolutely extraordinary, wonderful, uh, powerful, uh, imaginative, takes anime into a whole new direction. Very, very strong. Um, if you, if you've seen any of, um, uh, Mamoru Hosada's previous work, you kind of know a little bit what to expect. Basically, this is Beauty and the Beast. This is an anime version of Beauty and the Beast, but it's done in a, in a, in a much more, um, aggressive way than I think, you know, it, it doesn't replace the Disney Beauty and the Beast, not by any means. It's not trying to, it's just trying to do something different with it. And it does, it's, it finds all kinds of fascinating, wonderful, new, ways of of uh, reinventing the story and it is absolutely astonishing the bonus features are great there's stuff on the music and they, there's an interview with the uh, hosada who goes into great detail on the evolution and the technique and everything else this is a great great thing to have bell 
um, is, is essential. Uh, one of the great recent works of anime was Millennium Actress by Satoshi Kon. This has been out many times previously. It is out once again in a steelbook edition. This is also from Shout. Uh, there's nothing particularly new here. It's just uh, it's a steelbook. It has a little booklet in it and, and a new director's interview. Um, uh, you know, I, you can watch this with the English cast. I would uh, the English voice cast. I would say don't do that. Stick with the Japanese voice cast. It's much much better. But uh, you know, if you already have this, no reason to necessarily upgrade. If you don't have it, the steelbook is a nice thing to have on the shelf. And then finally. Uh, there is a trilogy of films that have been, well, not a trilogy, they're not technically a trilogy, but uh, a trio of films that have been released through the uh, Shout Factory G-Kids arrangement, all of them by the great, great director Makoto Shinkai, who recently had done Weathering With You and Your Name. Your Name was a big deal when, when uh, the LA Film Critics voted uh, that year. Everyone loved Your Name, just came out of the blue, and it was just fantastic. And so Shinkai is being rediscovered to some degree. All three of these films are absolutely first rate, really first rate. This is world-class cinema, and it just happens to be that these, these are animated films. But if these had been live-action films, we'd still be talking about them. It's not just about the animation. It's about the writing. It's about the characterization. It's about the directing. It's about the acting. It's really, really excellent. The three films in question are Children Who Chase Lost Voices, the Place Promised in Our Early Days, and lastly, Five Centimeters Per Second. So once again, uh, the three films are Children Who Chase Lost Voices, the second film is The Place Promised in Our Early Days, and the last is Five Centimeters Per Second. Uh, I would have to say, of the three, I am probably most fond of Five Centimeters Per Second. They're all worth checking out, and I'll just I'll I'll just say this very very briefly um, that that there is romance pulling off romance, a credible romance in anime, is very very hard. There are films that do it. I've never seen one that does it as incredibly powerfully as Five Centimeters Per Second. It's magical. It's poetic. It's powerful, and. Um, it it somehow it does things that animation just typically doesn't do because you it the nuances of certain relationships are very hard to capture when you have to animate faces when you're dealing with actors live action actors in the moment much easier to capture certain emotional nuance but uh, Shinkai is not that kind of director he he pushes animation into places where it, it historically is it just is typically not considered a strong tool and that's what makes this so refreshing and so powerful. And um, it, it really, it's just, it's, it's incredibly mature filmmaking for, for anime uh, by any standard. So five centimeters per second. And, and then, you know, obviously you can't go wrong with The Place Promised in Our Early Days, um, which was his debut film. And is just, as you can tell, this guy's going to be unbelievable. He's absolutely going to be a totally powerful filmmaker. Uh, very, very ambitious for a debut film. And uh, then, you know, finally, Children Who Chase Lost Voices. No, nothing slouchy at all either. It's, it, again, it, it's fantasy, kind of a fantasy epic, and has a lot of uh, uh, mythology in it that takes a little bit to sort of wrap your head around. But that's okay. Um, it's, uh, it's working within the genre, and, uh, and it does so very effectively. And that is it for our uh, anime segment this week. Thanks for sticking around. Again, email us at gods at digigods or gods at cinegods.com. Tell us what you think the new uh, video podcast should be. 
give us some give us some suggestions for the title, for the name of it. But it's it's going to be a broad based uh, entertainment industry thing. We are still in the early stages of developing this and uh, and and figuring out where it's going to live and how it's going to live. But uh, would love your feedback because ultimately, without an audience, there is no podcast. So. Uh, looking forward to your feedback. With that, we will see you soon. In a few weeks, have a great summer. Have great vacations wherever you may be going. Thank you.